Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome, friends, to another r slash pro revenge video. If you want to be just like a pro, all you gotta do is hit those like and subscribe buttons down below. That said, our first story of the day is by C. Kentner4212. I was told to do what I needed to do, so I did it. This is very recent. I was living in a very bad part of a major metropolitan city that has lots of bad parts. After I moved in, I started noticing a lot of things that were unsafe. Most of the things I brushed aside because they didn't necessarily affect me. Three things I complained about were the fact that the common areas and most of the bedrooms had no smoke detectors. Then, because I got home when it's very dark, I complained about the porch lights not working. I was promised over and over that this would be fixed, but it never was. I pressed harder and threatened to call the city. I also withheld my rent at this point. The landlord, female, told me, there's nothing wrong with the house, do what you need to do. So I did, I called the city. An inspector came out and I showed him around the property. There were areas I couldn't give him access to, like the garage or the other tenants' rooms. He took lots of pictures and pointed out dozens of safety issues and building code violations. Turns out the slumlord, referring to the owner, converted a two-story house, four bed, two bath, into a three-story house with nine bedrooms and nine bathrooms with no permits from the city. He, the owner, also had the home classified as an owner-occupied single-family home, although it clearly was not as there was no owner-occupancy and there were 10 unrelated roommates. The landlord, female, harassed me through the whole process. She took my parking spot away and pitted other roommates against me. To make matters worse, she told everyone I wasn't paying rent. So now I have these witches ganging up on me. It was so bad that I couldn't be in any of the common areas even for one minute without being harassed. I also got a bunch of notices accusing me of random things and an eviction notice because I wasn't paying rent. The report from the city came out and it had over a dozen violations, including some very serious ones. It was going to cost them tens of thousands of dollars to repair the house to get it up to standard. The house started to become safer. There were smoke detectors, railings for the stairs, working porch lights, a carbon monoxide alarm, and he was forced to put a railing on a balcony that had none. Through all of this, he's, the owner, making $10,000 per month in rent, charging for parking, and there's another large house on the property that he's renting. Plus he, the owner, has multiple homes, 90 tenants in total. This guy, the owner, was making tons of money. But somehow the sentiment among some of the roommates was, how could you do this to this poor old man? My case went to court, and I got more time to find legal help. By the time the second hearing came along, another notice had been given as they had got access to the entire house. Plus, they were still in violation and had not cured all of the problems, so they got fined daily. Then my court date was a week away, and his attorney started to try and negotiate with me. I was asking for $16,000, and they knew I was going to get it because they were going to lose. 
I ended up settling for $7,000 and 30 days to move out, plus 8 months of rent forgiveness. I just did what I had to do. If you lived in a place that was so mismanaged and not up to code and inappropriate and frankly dangerous, would you rather just try to move out as quick as you can or would you want to see it through reporting them for every fault and flaw and code violation you could? Let me know what you would do in a situation like that in the comments down below. Our next story is by Objective Unknown. Pops makes dirty, dirty thieves literally eat poop. I really love sharing stories about my pops, my grandfather, the man who raised me, and I thought I would share another story of pops just being pops. Pops lived on the family farm his entire life, and that's where this takes place. It's mine now. The farm itself is huge. 80 acres of grazing and hay production land. Pops mostly raised cows and chickens and another 120 plus acres of forest marsh and wetlands. Up near the main house, Pops had his veggie and berry garden, strawberries, blueberries, raspberries, all the berries. Pops likes to make his own homebrew, blame the Irish DNA. One fine summer morning, August of 2001, Pops is returning from town and he's greeted by a couple in their 30s hauling butt to their car parked at the front of our property, each with 40 liter buckets. Pops checked out what was going on, almost half the berry bushes had been stripped clean. Pops was not the type to fly off the handle, but he took a trip into town to look for the car, and he found it. It was a couple of -of out-of-towners, and Pops gave them a stern warning not to come back. The next morning, Pops was doing his normal start-of-the-day routine, making breakfast and waking me up to do chores. As we got out, Pops saw them again hauling butt back to their car. Pops jumped into his truck, caught up to them, and told them off. Said if they ever come back, it's going to be heck for them. We woke up the next day to find tire tracks on the field and each and every berry bush stripped clean. We later found out they'd been hitting up the farmer's markets selling fresh berries. Pops, not being the kind of person to take things laying down, especially if someone's messing with his future booze, there's a lot Pops did to ensure he was protected for the future, but I'm going to give you the short version. Pops decided to expand his berry operation to the entire field as well as get the farm licensed to produce and sell berries. In early September, I remember this well, made me do half the work, we filled the entire front field, planted several hundred strawberry, raspberry, blackberry, and blueberry bushes. One thing, they're perennial plants. The season they're planted will be a very light fruiting, but the next growing season, they explode. Pops fenced off half the field and left a good portion open, easy access. Pops knew they would be back next year. He knew they believed they found a golden goose of free money. Well, the start of next growing season, Pops had a special fertilizer ready for the open part of the field. Raw human waste. Now, the thing about spraying the soil and plants with that is it's not treated. Even cow fertilizer is treated. But in its raw state, the plants being sprayed daily? Well, it makes the berries putrid. It gets deep into them and no amount of washing will get it out. And Pop sprayed every bush on the not fenced inside every darn day and waited. And as Pops predicted, summer of 2002, they came back. He caught them again, buckets in hand, hauling butt back to the car. Again, Pops confronted them with a stern warning, warning they'll regret taking and eating the fruit. It wasn't even 24 hours later, they were back with the law in tow, screaming up a fury that Pops tried to poison them. 
Pops just smiled and said, I warned you not to come on my land and steal from me. Those berries aren't for eating. The cops were about to tell him to just freak off and not come back when Pops said, Oh, wait a minute. Pops came out with all his licenses packed in a neat little folder, licensing his land that was already zoned for agricultural use as a licensed food production farm. The cops' eyes lit up like, oh, I know what you're getting at. You see, up here in Canada, it's a bit of a big crime to steal from a farm, even more so if it's got all the licenses to produce food. At this point, I was on the porch watching everything go down. Man, the law screamed at them to sit their butts down while he called backup. They were taken off our land in cuffs. So not only did they get a mouthful of human waste-filled berries, but walked out getting over a $10,000 fine. I'm just imagining what would have happened if this took place in the southern United States. You'd probably end up with some pellets in your butt. Good thing this took place in Canada. At least there, you only gotta deal with a mouthful of human poop and a $10,000 fine. Our next story is by Crafty Bureaucrat. I orchestrated a vast conspiracy to get a coworker fired. I used to work at a hospital data center and the network operations group. We physically sat in a room 24-7 next to the servers to make sure things didn't catch on fire, monitored for alerts, and did routine things like swap out tape backups, but it was pretty simple work. This was ostensibly a tech job, but there were people who had been there for many years back when you had to change out printer paper and run a command from an IBM mainframe. It was on really specialized hardware and software that was difficult to apply elsewhere, so it had become a dead-end job. And because there were people who weren't tech-savvy at all really, we weren't given much responsibility. You can't tell some people they can log into a server and others not, so we were reduced to the lowest common denominator. We were a network operations center where nobody was allowed to interact with any network equipment. Lowest common denominator, you say? Meet my new supervisor, Karen. Not a real name, but definitely her real spirit. Had been there for over 20 years and got the job solely based on seniority. She was a sociopathic narcissist and one of the most unpleasant people I've ever encountered. Shortly after I was hired, we were bought by another hospital and combined data centers. Karen was demoted to shift lead and had to work with us in the 24-7 rotations. She was very bad at her job and our responsibilities diminished to very little. We had no agency to fix any problems of our own because it had to be a problem that Karen could solve. And Karen was both lazy and stupid. After a couple of years, I was promoted. On my first day after they announced the promotion, she said, you will fail just straight to my face. But she had a powerful tool at her disposal, the hospital bureaucracy. Since the place was unionized, the hospital had a just cause firing policy instead of an at will policy, even for non-unionized employees. This I think generally is a good thing, but on the edges, it set up a ridiculous situation where it was impossible to lose your job unless you were really egregious about it with repeated violations or you showed up drunk or high. We had someone steal computer equipment and they kept their job. It was nuts. And Karen had been there for nearly 30 years, so she wasn't getting fired without a lot of work. That's okay. She was terrible at her job. One of the most important things about the job was monitoring for an alert which would pop up. And there was a procedure we had to go through in order for some data to go through. If we didn't do this, then a nurse wouldn't get their lab results back. So in one case, an alert came in, Karen saw it then decided to keep browsing the web. 
Because of this, a patient from the cardiac ICU was going into surgery and the doctors and nurses operating on the patient couldn't get a white blood cell count, I think. I'm not a doctor, I just work in a building with a lot of them. Something very dangerous for the patient, and the patient died. This still did not get Karen fired. The reasoning from HR? Well, it didn't directly lead to harm. She didn't even feel bad about it. Just a complete soulless sociopath. I'm real pro-worker in general, but some jobs you just absolutely have to do. I was so mad she had to go. I kept a paper trail of everything she messed up on. It wasn't nitpicky. Literal life and death stuff here. Verbal warning, first written warning, second written warning, final written warning, termination. A slog and I'd rather spend my time doing anything else, but that's the way it went. Then she figured out she could work the system. As she approached work Armageddon, termination, she would tell HR that she was being harassed. The person harassing her was different every time, which would trigger a mandatory investigation. This investigation took about six months. They wouldn't find anything, and we would carry on. Except these warnings? They had a six-month expiration, so she could always reset the clock when it got close. Everyone was helpless. Even the CIO couldn't do anything about it because of the bureaucracy. Karen was a menace, and the entire IT department had to interact with the data center staff. And that meant interacting with her, and she was universally disliked. And she had 20 years until retirement, and she would outlast the heat death of the universe. Then I had an idea. What if, under the guise of developing skills relevant to the 21st century, required everyone working in the network operations center to pass the NetPlus exam? It's not a difficult exam, but it's not trivially easy. I felt pretty sure that everyone on the team fell above the line between able to pass and not able to pass, except Karen. We would give everyone better titles, a significant pay raise, and entrusted to do more with the equipment, which is something everyone desperately wanted. Then people could actually leave the hospital with transferable skills and do something else if they wanted and not feel trapped. I spent three years in meetings with HR, with my director, with the CIO, with HR again, job description meetings that took six hours to tweak small wording. Hundreds of hours in meetings. Red tape heck. Absolute red tape heck. Do you have any idea what it takes to approve a significant raise in a bureaucratic muck factory like that? But the raises were crucial because it would absolutely not be fair to ask this of them. Pass a test or lose your job without a large carrot attached would lead to mutiny. And then it got approved. I also wrote the exam requirement into my own job description. It was important to still be able to do the job and not let my skills lapse just because I was promoted. Also, this meant I could cover for people when they were on vacation or sick. Plus, I also got that sweet, sweet pay bump. It went over well. I was nervous, but the plan made sense, and I was able to communicate that. People would be more marketable, the job would be more interesting, and most importantly, they would be making 20% more than they were before. And I think it really helped that I also gave myself the same requirement when I absolutely could have chosen not to. The hospital would pay for off-site training, they would still get paid their full hourly during the training, including shift differential for second and third shifts. We paid for all materials, I scheduled 8 hours a week for people to go someplace quiet and study. The job itself had a ton of downtime so people could study, but this was formally carved out time anyways. 
We paid for the exam, and if they failed, we'd pay for the second attempt. We were given eight months to pass the test. So this is how it was for eight months? I did not want Karen to have any excuse whatsoever and somehow convince HR that this process was rushed or unfair. Everyone passed on the first attempt except Karen. Karen did not pass her second or her third attempt, a bonus attempt. Karen, being the classic narcissist, thought this was all somehow all about her. That this was a vast conspiracy engineered over multiple years and hundreds of hours just to get rid of her. And she would tell everyone within earshot that that's what's going on. Yeah, okay, Karen. You realize how insane that sounds, right? Not everything's about you. Sheesh. Well, okay, in this case it is, but still. Only I and two other people know that. I remember the exact time and date we told her. She was in such a deep denial that it could ever happen. She thought she was bulletproof. I don't think I will ever achieve anything more satisfying in my career. I'm not usually one to take satisfaction in seeing someone's livelihood go, but she was uniquely awful. She was a patient danger, and it had been nearly a decade of working with her by this point, and I was just so sick and tired of her BS. I was a hero the day after she was fired. I went to the main office for a meeting and people were congratulating me like I'd just had a kid or won a marathon or something, even the CIO. They were just happy for me that I didn't have to supervise Karen anymore. But in my head canon, they were congratulating me for pulling off this elaborate plan. Morale back at the data center was also high. We learned interesting things, a couple of my coworkers left for better gigs elsewhere. The ones who were content staying were able to stay, and we all had more money and job security. And because anything could set off a BS Karen harassment complaint, people were stressed out working with her. Her being gone was like a breath of fresh air. Newcomers were told stories of Karen, and they seemed exaggerated. They were not. In order to solve a very important and extremely difficult problem, I pulled off a vast workplace conspiracy that improved the lives of people I worked with in addition to keeping our patients safe. Getting Karen fired is my greatest and most difficult accomplishment, and I can't put it on a CV anywhere. If you were working in a place with a manager as bad as this Karen, would you be willing to put your job on the line and take a test to prove your competency just for the chance to out Karen and maybe get them fired? Let me know if you think that would be worth the attempt in the comments down below. And our final story of the day is by Thunderkirk, I was called an ungrateful brat, so I acted as such. Background, growing up, me and my sister had no love towards our father whatsoever. I'm not going to bore you with details, but alcoholic, abusive, violent are the few that come to mind. When my sister got accepted into a much better but also further high school than our local, she moved immediately and rarely visited. We were 10 years apart, so I was 4 at that time. I grew up resenting her for leaving me to deal with his BS all by myself, but now I understand better and we're on good terms. My local factory was so big that it supported my whole town. Virtually everyone worked there, so everyone knew each other. My parents too, but then it's purchased by the defense ministry and they decided to cut off anyone without at least a high school degree. My mother was let go and this was after she'd had me four months. My father, however, made it until retirement and was granted military status. Basically, they gave him an honorable rank so his pension would almost double, but also you have to act accordingly because, in terms of speaking, you're military personnel now. My childhood was absolute nightmares. 
So, needless to say, I turned out to be an absolute mess. Anger management and mental instability are notably the worst, and I'm still working on them. When I turned 18, I enlisted. Two major benefits, it didn't cost money, and I could never come home if I didn't want to. For me, it was literally a highway out of heck. Fast forward three years later, I got an honorable discharge. Turned out I had actual mental problems, who would have known? I got a bulk load of money and even more in the following months when they were able to process my military insurance. I came home to find my town incredibly underwhelming and my father hadn't changed a bit. Not wanting to spend the rest of my life in this heck hole, I took what I could and moved to the city where my sister was living. The last words dear old dad said to me was, you'd never make it, because apparently being discharged for a mental illness showed that I was a coward. Also, I think he didn't like that I was tougher than the boy who used to obey his every word that I once was, and that I stood up for myself more in the few weeks I've stayed with him than the entire 18 first years of my life. I moved to a new environment, took up a blue-collar job, I was pretty beefy thanks to the military, and decided to pursue a career in IT, all the while taking care of my mental health. When it all started, some when during this time, he got diagnosed with cancer. I was told it wasn't dangerous, but operations were required. My sister had actually reconciled with him, partly because of my mother, a few years prior, and would occasionally bring my niece home to visit them. She was quite successful, so she decided to pay for the whole thing. Operations, treatment, hospitals, recoveries, it was all hers. She paid for this while moving into a new house and buying her first car. Those things are pretty expensive in my country. My father had a huge bank account because of his pension, but he didn't have to pay a single penny. After a year or so, he's on recovery, and all in all, things were good. During this time, I was struggling with working and studying, living paycheck to paycheck, and had to rely on a social program to get treatment for my illness. I visited him after every operation, though it wasn't anything tearful. If he didn't poke me, I was fine. After nearly a year of staying at my sister's house, he and my mother headed home after his doctor gave him a go. At that time, I was looking for a new job because the current job was horrible and it made my mental health actually worse. And I was lucky to find one where most of my schools were transferred and I had enough time to finish my studying. One day, my mother called in tears and asked me to come home that weekend. She told me that my father had been seeing someone else. Now, I must admit, I'd not put anything behind this man, but then I thought she was paranoid. She still is up to this day about everything, and I resented the thought of going home on a four-hour trip, both just for something that's utterly unimportant. So I calmed her and swept it under the rug. Fast forward a few months, I got another call, this time from my sister. She came back to visit that week with my niece to inform them that she was three months pregnant. What was supposed to be a happy union turned into an absolute crap show. Apparently, when my father left his phone unattended for a few minutes, his mistress sent him a very sexy picture and my mom saw it pop up. Needless to say, all heck broke loose. My sister said that that was the first in many years that she saw my mother screaming bloody murder at my father, and when he tried to hit her, my sister threw herself in between which prompted her husband to throw himself in between because, you know, she's three months pregnant. It all ended with a very teary trip back to our city after hours of hurling insults at each other. The only good thing that came out of it was my mother somehow was able to bring his phone with her. 
We convinced my mother to get a divorce, but she's the submissive housewife who thought divorces were worse than boiling live puppies. And I think back then, she's still somewhat hoping that he'd turn around. They've been together for almost 35 years at that point, so I figured something must have been there. She didn't want it, so we dropped it and decided to cut him out for good. Lo and behold, half a year after the incident, my father's side of the family started to contact me. I have a strict no-call policy where the only people allowed to call me outside of work hours are my mother, my sister, her husband, three of my best friends, and only recently, my boyfriend. So to my bamboozlement, my father, his sister, my aunt, and his mother all called within a day. They suddenly acted so nice and convinced me to come visit them. Obviously, that was all a ruse. After the incident, my father's side all blamed my mother and said she should have kept it a secret and not made a mess for the family's sake. They also disavowed me and my sister because we were ungrateful brats after we did not accept their ultimate argument, he's your father after all. Out of morbid curiosity, I ventured back alone to see what it was about. Turned out, they wanted to sell his house. It was on my grandmother's land. Back when he was about to undergo his first operation, We didn't know how it would turn out, so we transferred the house to my name because, apparently, inheriting a dead person's estate in my country is a living nightmare. Out of convenience, we convinced my grandmother to give me the land as well, since she was very old, 80 at the time. This was back when we were on good terms. I knew for sure they would rather gouge their eyes out than follow up with any of that if it happened a year later. I smelled something in the air. I couldn't place it, but I knew it was there. So I told them nicely that I would think of it and immediately went back faking an emergency. A plan formed when I was driving back and that's the first time I'd been so pleased about anything I actually cracked a smile. I went to my sister's immediately, my mom had been staying with her, and laid out a plan. After a year of living in the city, my mom was much more open-minded and it only took a little convincing for her to agree with the plan. The plan? My sister contacted a lawyer and asked what our options were. Because both the house and the land were in my name, they had no claim to them, and any paper that didn't have my signature on it would be considered useless under the law. They could try and claim it was rented out, but then they'd have to move far away and hope that I'd never be able to locate them, and I knew it'd be too much trouble for a couple of old folks. They could claim it's his life achievement, but because he and my mother never divorced, it's technically half hers as well. This is when I came up with an idea. I asked the lawyer, what if my mother filed for a divorce? He said it's highly unlikely the court would reward my mother's full claim unless we could prove that he was unfaithful before the separation. To his surprise, I could. Remember the phone that my mother brought back from that day? It was smashed during the fighting, but generally still in one piece. She asked me to throw it away after a few days, but my lazy butt just brought it back to my place and threw it in the loft. Sufficient to say it provided us with more than enough proof of his indecency. The execution. After weighing our options, I called to inform my father that I would come home the next month to make an announcement. He was eager to hear it. Upon my arrival, they were so nice and sweet and whatnot, but after I introduced my lawyer, it's like they flipped a switch and suddenly became vile and violent. I presented him with two options relinquish any claim to the house or be served with a lawsuit. In my country, marital violations are six months probation minimum, up to two years in prison. After a lot of screaming and name calling and feet stomping tantrums, he kicked us out. So naturally, 
I assumed he chose the latter. At the first hearing, my mom, me, and my lawyer were present. It turned out to be another screaming contest in which he made up all kinds of lies about my mother. At some point, my lawyer leaned in to tell me that if the officer didn't stop his rantings, it's likely that they were buddies and asked me to let them handle things. The officer told us this case wasn't a priority, it would take months to process, we wouldn't like the paperwork, it's best to settle this out of court. My lawyer politely declined and told my father to expect another hearing soon, under much less friendly circumstances. He tried one more tactic in between, which was calling all the relatives and telling them how my mother was a witch and I was an ungrateful brat in hope of creating some kind of pressure on us. Very few of them took his side, and even if all of them did, I would have never let him go that easy. In the second hearing, he finally cracked and agreed to my terms, which were relinquishing any claim he might have had with the house, and divorcing my mom. Basically, the only person who has any claim to the house now is my mother. I agree to let him keep living in it for the rest of his life though, but not anyone else, aka his mistress, whom he was basically living with. The revenge? This is where my work started. First, my sister gathered all the receipts from all the medical billings she's paid for his treatment. A few of them were missing, but we were able to put up a huge folder. I also pooped my pants learning how expensive cancer treatment could be. Not a fan. When we had a general sum of the money, we billed him for it. This is very unethical in my country since children are expected to take care of their parents. But we threw that out the window long ago. We also knew it was not a criminal case, so we just went to small court claims and then sent in bailiffs to collect, which was just this lady. She went on with a I don't give a freak attitude, and when he failed to comply, she sent in the thugs, I mean the police, to start seizing assets. So say goodbye to wooden furniture, a 27 inch smart TV, a fridge, and a reclining massage chair, all were bought by my sister as well. He had to pay out of his pocket because that lady insisted they continue seizing whatever he bought until she saw the money. Although the final amount was halved, my mother, under the eyes of the law, shared half of that for some reason, it still cost him 70% of his savings. Of course, this wasn't about the money, we were just petty. We told the moving company that they could do whatever they wanted with the furniture. Looking back, I should have taken the recliner because my back hurts like a witch even though I'm only in my late 20s. After that was done, I contacted my local factory to file a report. Remember the sweet pension he got with the condition that he behaved accordingly? Clearly someone had been a bad boy. They let him go with it, even though it was a small town and everyone knew everything because nobody ever filed a report. But that's not the case anymore. I gave them a very detailed folder with pictures from his phone. To say they were sexual was an understatement. They immediately set up a hearing and he was stripped of his rank, making his pension down to just over half the original amount. I know this because old folks gossip like their lives depend on it, and my mother is not excluded. She was very happy having heard about that, it's all she talked about for a month. I was about to be done here, but a week later, my sister called to tell me that my aunt came to her door to berate her and her children. My sister was working from home, my mom also lived there but had gone out for some reason. My sister just called security to kick her out and warned me she could go for me next. I was seeing blood, not because of some lame butt Karen that could cause me inconveniences at most, but because she was screaming at my niece and nephew. As a gay man, I know full well the bloodline ends with me, so I put all of my love into those little guys, to the point that if I had been there, I would have bitten her head off. 
So I dug a little and found out that my aunt was knees deep in debt. She was hoping she could leech some money off my father, if not from the money he made selling the house, then from his big bank account. Since neither of those were available anymore, she was very angry and thought she could lay it on my sister. You want to know what a man could do with determination and raging hatred? I never set up an online presence, mainly because up to my 18th birthday, I was too poor to have a phone, and then the military taught me it wasn't needed. But for this special occasion, I made an exception. I created a Facebook account and befriended her. I didn't even have to pretend to be anyone, since old people apparently accept friend requests from anyone. She had this vibe where she'd show off her money and her vacations and her items like a wealthy person. From my mother and her trusty gossip circle, I knew that she always told whoever she owed money that she was struggling, so I figured she must be blocking them. The next part was easy. I just sent all of her selfies to everyone she's owing to. I didn't have to declare myself since I was literally on a throwaway account, so it's just really this long line of messages that showed my aunt spending her money lavishly. For the following month, she was threatened, not with legal actions like I did, but with much more sinister actions. She would have thugs, not the police, throw gifts at her door, like paint, fish sauce, and sometimes literal poop. My mother also told me this, of course. She finally figured out what I was going to do when I told her to find me a list of all these people she's owing. The pro revenge, as much as I want to take credit for this, the idea wasn't mine. My father's side of the family is this very traditional family where you would have a person acting as the head of family deciding things that matter. This was way before the war, so obviously they don't do such things anymore. But the head of the family still has a certain voice. And there's this once-in-a-year ceremony where we gather together to pay tribute to our ancestors. During the ceremony, the head of family will give a speech and then some announcements like who died, who got married, who gave birth. Then there will be a celebratory party where we basically get poop face drunk. My great-grandfather was the head. He had three sons and two of them died during the war. So my grandfather took the mantle, then my father, and eventually me. This whole side of the family's in another town that's like three hours away from our town. Mainly because my grandfather didn't expect to be the head, so he moved out seeking opportunities. I found these gatherings redundant and unnecessary, but that year, I was actually looking forward to it. My father tried to keep the actual date hidden. It wasn't fixed, but generally somewhere between June. But he seriously underestimated my mother. She doesn't have a gossip circle. She has an infinite number of them. So my mother, me, and my sister's family all head back for it. The trip was 14 hours in total, but the result was worth it. We timed it so we would come two days earlier than my father, again thanks to her gossip circle. This side of the family never heard the full story before, only the version my father gave them, which was that he and my mother left in good faith. I actually gave my father some credits for not badmouthing my mom. After weighing all the pros and cons, we decided to let my mother loose and she's exceptional when it comes to relaying details about her personal tragedies. I kid you not, if I'd posted her story word for word, by this time next week there would be a global Justice for Thunderkirk's mother movement. It took just one day for everyone to know what a jerk my father had been. The look on his face when he arrived with my aunt and my grandmother and saw my family already there was priceless. He got the stink eye from everyone for the rest of the day. Nobody would initiate conversations with him, so he's just sitting there like a sad dog. Now I know what they said about dead horses, but this idea was brilliant not to follow through. My uncle, let's call him Oliver, came up with this. 
In the hierarchy, he's equal to my father, and in the event that my branch doesn't have a male successor, 100% what's going to happen, his branch will be the head of the family. He told me I should take up the mantle of the head. It was very sudden. I didn't have a speech ready. My father was supposed to do that, but Oliver told me I could just tell whatever I want because nobody really paid attention to that thing anyway. All the other elders were okay with it. His speech wasn't even the best thing. At the celebratory party, people were assigned tables based on the family tree. Heads of each branch will sit together, their children sit together, the elders sit together, so on and so forth. Because I was elevated to the head of my branch, I would be sitting at the big boy table. My father didn't even get to sit at that supposed table because, miraculously, it was full. Even though I could have sworn there weren't 20 of us and each table can sit up to 10, he had to sit at the regular table with my aunt and a bunch of nasty widows who didn't hold back on their snarky comments. So I was told. I don't think you'll ever come back to one of those anytime soon. The aftermath? My father now is just a miserable old man. His mistress left him because, surprisingly, she was after his money. He's living in our old house now with next to nothing. His retirement money, though halved, was good enough for him to live by. Last I heard, his cancer's come back. And obviously this time, my sister won't be paying for it anymore. He had tried to initiate contact with my mother, trying to make amends. We had to block his number and his profile on my mother's account because she actually considered it. She has her soft sides. My aunt has to sell her house to pay for all the debt, or else they just continue harassing her. She now lives in a small house she bought off with the rest of her money. I felt bad for her husband because he's actually quite chill and quite nice, but he's not the most decisive and therefore doesn't really confront her. I hope he's doing better. I have no empathy for her only son, though. Let's just say the apple doesn't even fall from the tree. How do I know all this? My mother's gossip circle. I left my grandmother out of this because she's very old. She's not demented in any way, she's perfectly sane, but she loved her son too much to admit he's in the wrong. Also, she was very nice and sweet to me growing up. A lot of my good memories are with her. I'm sad because she doesn't see my mother in the same way. I also stopped talking to her and would only visit once during Lunar New Year. She's lived in the small house she and my grandfather built on the land that's now in my name. When she and my father pass, I'll carry out her wish to build an altar for her and my grandfather. Whether or not my father will be included is still up to debate. Frankly, I would say this almost goes beyond pro-revenge into nuclear revenge territory. This is like his entire life, his entire family, his entire status just gone, nuked, and forced to just resign to some barely making it by life in some small quiet house. But with that being said, that's all the time we have for today. So of both of these stories, which one was your personal favorite and why? Let me know in the comments down below. And if you haven't yet, if you could like and subscribe, that would mean a lot to me. Whatever you do, whether it's liking, subscribing, turning notifications on, all of it helps grow this channel and I appreciate the heck out of it. So until next time, I'll see you all tomorrow with some more stories. 